So I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. We're going to Jeremiah chapter um, 17. And you actually have the, the Scripture in your bulletin, so you, you may not have to turn there at all. Um, I'm going to read it from the New King James. You can read with the ESV, but, but um, I, I like the way it's worded in the New King James. Um, so I'm going to read it from that version. Before I read it, let me just tell you, Jeremiah's call is a priest and a prophet to God's people, and they didn't want to hear his message. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being called to a ministry where basically you're proclaiming the Word of God and nobody wants to hear it? In fact, the people's hearts were so wicked that they had turned away from the true God and they had started worshiping gods that were easier to worship in some ways. And they became so... Um, dysfunctional in their worship of other gods and they started sacrificing their own children to those guys. So Jeremiah is preaching this message to these people um, and, uh, and he was persecuted greatly for it. He was uh, try, um, just picked on and tried for life, put in stocks, thrown in a pit, publicly humiliated, but yet he faithfully served the Lord. They call him the, the um, weeping prophet um, um, who wrote Lamentations. But um, so let me let me read you these two verses, and we'll talk about it. And um, Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verse nine and ten. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart; I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this inspired Word. Oh, Father, may we not be like the people of the time of Jeremiah who hear it and ignore it. Hear it and say, so what? Hear it and rebel against it. Lord, may we be a people that hear Your Word and know this truth about ourselves, know our need for You, and Lord, that we would grow as Your people. Father, You breathed these words to the prophet Jeremiah. You called him to proclaim it, and we benefit from it today. So, Lord, we ask that we would be blessed by the reading of Your Word and the preaching of Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got some statistics for you. 94% of university professors in this survey think they are better than their colleagues. 94% of them think they're better than their colleagues. 85% of medical students polled, future doctors think it is improper for politicians to receive gifts from lobbyists. I think that's wrong. Yet only 46% of them thought it was wrong for a doctor to receive gifts from the drug companies. And the colleges, 70% of college students think they're above average in their leadership skills. 70% of them think they're above average in their leadership ability. Only 2% thought they were below average. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? You fathers, we celebrate you today. If you had to grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you're an awesome father doing everything God's called you to do, and 1 being you're a horrible dad, you stink, what would your grade be? Now some of us might be sitting there, well, I'm a 3 or 4, I can be honest. What if I had you come up and say it before your wife? What your grade would be? You'd be a little more gracious with you, wouldn't you? 
The heart has this built-in ability of self-flattery. I remember one time I had to grade myself as a pastor. I worked at a church for 15 years and they wanted us to critique ourselves as a pastor. And they said, David, not only are you going to critique yourselves, but the senior pastor is going to critique you. And the session is going to critique you. And we're going to get together and talk about it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and um, I have some glaring weaknesses that I know about. And I have some glaring weaknesses that I don't know about. But the ones that I knew about, I remember kind of looking at the question they asked me and wanted to grade it. And say, oh, you know, I, you know, I, I, they're going to grade me pretty bad on this because they see me for what I am. How can I defend it? So I was coming up with ideas. Well, I might not be the most organized person, but let, 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 let me defend myself. The heart is, is really prone to do that. We see it take place so often in families. We see it take place in relationships where we're very gracious with ourselves and our sin, but very ungracious toward others. In fact, I was, you know, this, this flattery of the heart. I don't think I'm fat until I see a picture. <laughs> I feel pretty good about myself. I, I, um, I was talking to Dr. Dad about this football game. I was dumb and I played in this alumni tackle football game with my brother Paul. And I remember seeing the faces on uh, Facebook. People were tagging me, and I was excited about that until I saw the picture. Like, my belly looks so big. <laughs> and I said, the jersey's tight. I mean, it was like, well, I'm telling all the kids in the youth group, the jersey's tight. It has nothing to do with my belly being big. It's the jersey. <laughs> do you know this about yourself? Do you know that your heart is the most deceitful of all things? And this is something that so many of us miss the boat on, especially when we get confronted with our sins, is the fact that our heart is constantly trying to deceive us and trick us that we're okay. It's the biggest liar in this room. Think about it. How do you feel when somebody lies to you? Our hardest spankings in the Sanders house is if you lie to us. If our kids lie to us, that's, that, that's what my mom and dad did to me. Um, talk, talk about how wicked my heart is. I was taking a bath. Mom said, David, did you use soap? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. But dummy here didn't look to see if there was a bar of soap in the tub. <laughs> so I learned my lesson, right? Because my heart's wonderful and teachable. No, I put a bar of soap in the tub every time I took a bath after that heart spanking. Made sure it was wet and still didn't use it. <laughs> Until the day. <laughs> the heart is the most deceitful thing. You see the heart show up 963 times in the New King James Version, the King James Version. And when it's referred to, it's talking about the citadel of man, the seat of our dearest treasures and affections. The inner man, that's what it's most commonly used. A place where our emotions come from, the place where our will comes from, the source of all our decision, the source of all our wisdom, everything we are as human beings, um, the place where our speech and conduct springs forth. And he says it's the biggest liar. Do you know that about yourselves? It's an amazing thing, the heart. You know, we talk about it, but David's beating up our hearts right now. It's the very core of who we are. It's the part of you that is you. One person said it's the when you talk to yourself, that's who you're talking to, your heart. It's where our hope and dreams are. It's where we place our love. It's where our deepest commitments belong. It's where our cherished memories are. We see that with your mothers. You're so much better than us fathers in regards to treasuring in your hearts, your memories of your kids. Mary did that with her son Jesus. It's where our longings are. It's where our fears and sorrows belong. 
And Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. We're going to look at three things here. That the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. And the heart is unknowable. Let me make a side statement here as we get in here. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Is that God is greater than our lying heart. That He is able to step in and transform this heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Isn't it amazing? Not just that He can do it, that He wants to do that. Isn't it the reason why we come and gather every Sunday? Because we know how important it is for our heart to hear the Word, to hear truth preached. Because if we remove ourselves from the preached Word, we end up embracing the lies of the world because our heart is bent that way. First thing, the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, and Jeremiah doesn't give a, a bunch of examples of this in this passage. Let me tell you how your heart's deceitful. It's almost like it's understood. You know this about you, right? Even though so many people ignore this truth. We know it in the heat of an argument. We know. Have you ever had an argument with somebody and you realize that their argument was better than yours? And you don't care? You're going to throw up more facts and more numbers and more percentages that you never even studied. But the 75% chance, you know, 99% chance, you know, you're throwing all this stuff at them to try to win the argument. You, you, even at times in our stupidity to our heart, we realize how stupid we are, but we're going to stick with the story. Because our hearts have brought us to that. In fact, you'll hear some people say, famous people say, go with your heart. Really? I'm, I'm a kind of a heart guy. Like somebody will say, well, like I'll, I'll, this is another reason why I justify one of my weaknesses. I, just, I don't feel good. I just got to trust my gut. I don't feel good about something. I can't quite put it in words. I just kind of have to go with my heart. Well, that, that's a dangerous thing to say. I mean, if you think about most of our, our most passionate arguments are, are dictated about things that we're fighting for more than we're fighting for our understanding of who we truly are. Can you imagine how it would impact us if we embrace that our heart is the most deceitful thing? If somebody came to me and said, David, I'm concerned. I had a guy come to me the other day and tell me a concern he had about me. It took a lot of courage. His voice was quivering. And he was telling me he had a concern about me. And it was hard for him. My first response was to say, well, you know, you do this. That's what was in my heart. You, you have this problem. How can you talk to me about my problem? Rather than, you know what? You're probably right. Or defend myself or justify what I'm doing. The heart is the most deceitful of all things. I want to do something here. We, um, I'm going to read the Catechism in honor of our fathers here. Um, this is um, the Westminster Confession. Um, or maybe this is all from the Heidelberg. This is all from the Heidelberg Catechism. Great Catechism. First question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what is, what is our only hope and comfort in, in, in life and in death? Well, that's, the, that's how they start their, their questions. What is the only comfort that we have in life and death? What a great question to start with in a catechism. The answer is that I don't belong to myself. That I am not my own. But that in body and soul belong to my Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. They word it much better than what I'm saying here. Okay? <laughs> and not a hair that is so sovereign that not a hair shall fall from my head without him deeming it so. Oh, what a comfort that is. In any trials we face, that my sovereign God, who I belong to, who bought me with His blood, who redeemed me from my sin, not a hair shall fall from my head. Well, listen to what they say about the commandments. It says, the fifth commandment is, honor thy father. And the, it says, what is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is, honor thy father and thy mother, 
and the days may be long upon the land which the Lord the God give thee. All right, kids, listen to me. Fifth commandment that God gave is honor your father and mother. Obey them. How do you feel when you hear that? When you hear me say, it pleases God for you to honor your father and mother, how does your heart respond to that? Oh, I don't kind of like that. Well, Dave, you don't know my parents. You don't understand their problems. You see your heart doing that? Isn't that amazing? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and be willing to die for her. How do you feel about that, man? Me and my wife, whenever we were coming to church, and we didn't do Lord's Supper every day, whenever we were coming to the church on the Lord's Supper day at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and we can't drive and we live right by Mount Calvary, so we're doing a lot better. We would be singing songs all happy, and the minute or two away from the church, we'd get in a huge argument. Talk about spiritual warfare. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you're to die for her. Everything fits under that, right? Change the diapers. Listening. How do you feel when you hear that's God's commitment? Well, Dave, you don't understand how hard it is. Wives, submit to your husband. What? Not today. That's old God. That's not this new God that I've created. You see how we do? Love one another as you love yourself. Forgive those who've wronged you. How does your heart feel when you think of that person you're upset with in your life? How does your heart feel? The heart's the most deceitful of all things. It's hard for me to preach this sermon. My wife's not here today because I had her teach Sunday school for me. But I was kind of glad she wasn't going to be here today. Because my heart's like, hey, she doesn't have to hear me say that. And then when we get in the problems in the week, she doesn't have to put that in my face. <laughs> See how our heart does? The heart is, is, is um, deceitful above all things. The second point is it's, it's wicked and it's beyond. It's, the, the heart is desperately sick. It's desperately wicked and it's beyond all cure. There is nothing you can do to fix your heart. I, I shared this story recently about my sister Martha who passed away in November. It's the first huge death we've experienced in our life. As a family, outside of, of grandparents, and those are, are just as painful, but it was different with my sister. And I remember going to see her the last weekend that she lived. And I was sitting there, and I got her a milkshake. She drank the milkshake, and she said, David, the doctor just came in, and because I'm on drugs, I wasn't able to communicate. I was slurring, and I wasn't able to communicate. She's a brilliant valedictorian of her high school, one, two, whatever you do, started well carried through. She said, could you go ask the doctor if I can have those procedures done to keep me alive? She didn't say it like that, if, if, if I can have those procedures. She's drowning. Her lungs are filling up. She's drowning. So I go to the doctor and I say, hey, Martha wanted me to come talk to you. She felt a little loopy from the drugs. Could you tell me what, what do you think we should do? And she looked at me and said, David, there's nothing we can do. It would be invasive. It wouldn't help her at all. It would slow it down maybe a few moments, but it wouldn't be worth all the work and all the impact on her body. There is nothing we can do. Can you imagine going back and telling your sister that? And I'm trying to, how can I word it? Martha, it's just not a good time right now for me to do that. As soon as I said that, she looked at me and she nodded her head. I regret I didn't hug her. I wish I'd have hugged her. I'll do that next time. I learned from that. She looked at me, brilliant valedictorian who studied this probably as a doctor would study it when she found out she had breast cancer. And she nods her head like this is it. That's what with us spiritually. We should all be nodding our heads and know there is nothing we can do to fix our hearts. But then we come back to that wonderful truth that God is greater than our hearts. And we see that in the third point. That who, 
Who can know the heart? Who can cure the heart? There's nothing we can do. God knows the heart. He has power over the heart. Do you understand, y'all, this is one of the key principles of understanding the Gospel is to know our state without God. If you, for one minute, sit in this pew and you feel like you've added something to your salvation because you're here this morning and all your friends aren't, your heart has deceived you. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right before Christ, before God. That's why we don't have anything on this table that represents us. Well, here's, here, here's the bread, here's His body, here's His blood, and, and here's me right here, the little things that I do to help. Ask any person on the street, especially unsaved people, hey, do you believe in heaven and hell? If they say yes, why do you think you'll go to, what do you think you'll go to heaven or hell? Yes, I think I'll go to heaven. Why? Well, because I'm better than them. I'm better than that person. Well, I don't do those things. The heart is most deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick beyond cure. Only God knows it. Only God can fix it. Do you see that about yourself? You know, sometimes we well, why do you got to beat up on me, Dave? Why do you got to beat up on us and about our hearts? I and mean, we, we're doing the best we can. We we're so good at fighting for ourselves and pity partying ourselves and, and, and kind of telling, you know, I, I come home every day from work and even on the average days and I want to tell Linda how hard it was. Oh, so hard working. Because what am I? I don't want to do any work now. <laughs> I don't want to do anything anymore. I'm done. And it's almost like sometimes that she'll play this game with me where we'll compete about how hard our day was. When God shows us who we are, when He reveals to us our wickedness, He is directing His people to Him. No, He's directing us to Him. Think about it. When Isaiah saw the robe fill the temple, woe is me for I'm undone. He sees His wickedness and He sees God's greatness. When you look at Psalm 139 and the treasures that are in Psalm 139 about God knowing our words, kids, think about this. God knows your words before you say it. Sometimes we'll get this, well, if I say it and mom and dad don't hear me, it doesn't really count. God knows it. He hears it. He's using this passage to direct His people to Himself. God is greater than our hearts. I want to give one example, and I'm going to use this kind of... um, we, we see the importance of God transforming our hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit with you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You think about the, the, when we're born again, this, this yucky, hard heart now has become softened. And not only that, it's got the Holy Spirit moving in there. And, and when you think of spiritual warfare, that's what we Christians deal with all the time where we deal with the battle of our deceitful heart and the Holy Spirit battling it out. And isn't it wonderful? Isn't it confirming? It's just like, how do I know I'm saved? Have you ever had a moment, kids, and this is one way to test yourself if you really know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, where you have sinned and sinned ugly, and you are committed to that sin, and the Holy Spirit steps in and says, I want you to repent of that sin. And you say, no! I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay committed to this sin because my mom and dad have sinned. And And then the Holy Spirit moves in you, a softening of your heart, and you find yourself going to mom and dad. It's such a beautiful thing when your kids do this, isn't it? It's such a beautiful thing when when, when friends do this, when your spouse does this. I'm sorry, that was gross. That was horrible what I did. Please forgive me. It's one of the best words to hear with somebody moving in repentance. 
I've experienced that. I remember one time my wife ticked me off. She was working harder than me. And I was sitting there. And I didn't say a word, but I was stewing. Why are you doing so much work Saturday night? You know I don't want to do any work Saturday night. And I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to help you. And she's just working and whistling like a bee. And I'm just ticked off. Why are you making me feel uncomfortable being lazy? <laughs> now, I didn't say a word, but my wife knew I was steaming. Maybe she could see it coming out of my ears. And I said, you know what? I'm going to bed angry that she did work. And I don't care. And the next thing I know, the Lord was moving me into the kitchen. The spiritual warfare going in my heart. He moves me into the kitchen. And I look at my wife, not wanting to. Linda, that was gross. I'm so sorry. And she melted. I didn't have to say what I was sorry for. She knew exactly what I was doing over there on the chair. I mean, one time I was preaching a sermon. The Lord caused me to be convicted and moved me. Said, David, you've been grumpy. And you're, you've lacked joy. And you've been preaching on joy today. And I want to convict you. I'm like, not right now, God. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher in front of these people. They can't see that. I'm not going to do it now. We'll take care of it later, which means no, we're not going to take care of this. I'm going to stay grumpy. But I was convicted by my preparation, my sermon. I'm preaching it. And as I'm praying, the Holy Spirit moves me to break down in tears and repentance. And I was committed not to. Only the Lord can change our hearts. Only the, That's why we pray. Lord, change that heart, that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Now there's so much we could say about this, and I, I'm not going to go into it, but there's things I, we talked about the Word we talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the importance of iron. Well, we didn't talk about this, but how important it is to have people in your life who will call you on things. Typically, if somebody calls us on things and, and says, hey, I'm concerned about this, or I'm concerned about, I'm noticing you and your wife seem not really, do, or how are you loving her, how are you pursuing her, we want to push them aside and say, okay, I'm done with that person. They're dead to me. That's awkward. I'm not going to have them in my life telling me what I need to do. When what we should do, if we truly understand our desperately sick heart, we would say, I need those people in my life. We need to have a relationship with our brothers and sisters where we go to them and say, are you seeing something out of kilter with me? Yes, I am. I'm seeing, I'm seeing you just looking really dark and discouraged every time I see you walk in the door. Are you seeing something out of place with me spiritually? Kids, I should ask my children. Children, are you seeing something that, yeah, Dad, you haven't left family devotion in a while. The heart is desperately sick beyond all cure, but God is greater than the heart. I think one of the biggest attacks on the church is not on outside these walls. It's right here in this room. It's our deceitful hearts. I'll give you an example. King David, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with this example, but Chapter 11 of Samuel, 2 Samuel 2, here's King David, a man after God's own heart. That's, I'm named after King David. And I love that thought about I'm a man after God's own heart. Here's a man after God's own heart. We know all the stories of Goliath, the bear, the lion, conquering the armies, leading Israel, being gracious and, and respecting authority. Even Saul, even though Saul was a hateful man toward him and wanted to kill him. We see all this fruit. And here David, it says, And it happened in the spring of the year, the time when kings go off to battle, David sent Joab instead. And then we know the story. David arose from his, his bed and he we don't know all the history of what led to this and what he knew, but he, he went out there and he saw Bathsheba. And he says, I want Bathsheba. And think about the deceitfulness of his heart. One, his heart deceived him to stay home when it said it's clear kings were supposed to be at war. He went somewhere he probably knew he wasn't supposed to go. 
and he fed the heart, and he saw Bathsheba, and he then his heart said, I'll bring her to you. Nobody will know. Well, it's good. He sends his servants, which already involved people. They go get her. They bring her to him. He sleeps with her. She conceives. Well, get Uriah to come back and we'll trick him into thinking it's his baby. He gets Uriah to leave war, one of his great soldiers, a crucial war. His heart deceives him to do that. He gets his, 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 his Uriah there. Uriah comes and Uriah says, King David, I can't go be with my wife. But the men, I know I'm supposed to be there. I know that's where God wants me to be. And he's probably thinking, David, you should be there too, and you're not. And so then David gets him drunk. Well, get him drunk. Cause him to sin and get him drunk, and then we'll trick him to think that the baby's his, and we'll have to go. Once again, he slept on the floor outside, not with his wife. And so over and over, David's heart keeps tricking him and deceiving him to the point that then he says, you know what? I'm going to kill him, and nobody's going to know about my sin and I'm going to kill him. And I, a man after God's own heart has, has committed adultery. He's now committing murder. He sends that thing. He, he involves his leader to participate in this. Put Uriah on the front. You see the, you see the process of his heart being deceived more and more and more? And then, after it all happens, after Uriah is dead and he gets news that he's dead, does David feel sorry for it? Aren't we glad that God didn't leave David in that state? What did he do? He sent an iron to sharpen iron. And he sent Nathan. And think about Nathan going before the king. And he knows what happened. He knows that he killed Uriah because Uriah wouldn't do what he wanted to do. And now God's told Nathan to go before David and to stand before him and say, tell him this story. And as he tells him that story about the man who had one sheep and the man who had a lot of sheep and the guy took his one sheep and had it butchered for his friends, David hears that story and his heart's so deceptive that he doesn't say, well, that sounds familiar to what I did to Uriah. He says, that man should die. Let me know who he is so I can have him killed. And the Uriah, the Nathan with his life on the line, who could have him, you know, David could have him killed and say, well, I'll just kill Nathan too. His heart could deceive him. I'll just kill Nathan too and keep, keep going the way I want to. He said, you're that man. You're that man, David. Praise God that David didn't kill him and keep listening to his deceptive heart. Instead, he fell on his knees and he repented. And what did he pray? We're going to sing it in closing. What did he, what did he respond? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of your tender mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And he says, you alone and you alone have I sinned against. And then he says, create in me a what? clean heart. Oh God, renew a, a steadfast spirit in with me. Cast me not away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Y'all, so often we don't listen to those Nathans in our lives. Sometimes Nathan comes in the form of, of a John Paul sermon or a Justin Kendrick sermon. <laughs> Sometimes Nathan comes in a devotional downstairs kids with, 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 in, in the youth Sunday school time. Sometimes it comes in the context of a spouse or a good friend. Do you know this about yourself? Do you understand your need of God to step in and intervene? I have a family member, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, and, and um, then we'll, we'll move to the Lord's Supper. I have a family member who grew up here in the Gospel, here in truth. And he started to embrace the lies of the world 
And he is what he's doing right now is he's severing any truth that can be spoken into his life. Anything that makes him have to confront that sin. Anything he's just saying, I don't, it's none of your business. It's none of, it's none of my business. I'm, I'm a brother in Christ. It's none of my business. I'm to, I'm to call to exhort and encourage and to instruct with God's word. It's none of my business to care for, for a family member. It's none of my business to care for his family. It's none of my business to care for his four kids. It's none of my business. How are you with, with this fact about your heart? Do you understand the importance of being in God's Word on a regular basis? Do you understand that there are lies you embrace each day? Young people, if you go to school, there are lies you embrace in the music you listen to. There are lies you embrace in the shows you watch. There's lies you embrace and even in your own home that we must be aware of and fight against. I call to you is if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is to continually be in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the posture of repentance. Continue to surround yourself with people who can challenge you and continue to be under the Word. If you're not saved, and your heart is just always hard and wicked, and you don't repent, you, you feel arrogant and proud, and you feel like you, you deserve to go to heaven because of how good you are, hear the Word of God. Turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank You so much for Your your Word. I thank You for the power it has. Lord, I thank You for the power of Your Holy Spirit. We look at the uh, the disciples, Lord, when they walked with You, how, how faulty they were when they just walked with Jesus. But then after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit empowered them, empowered them to be willing to die for Christ. Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You for the power of the Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen.